Thank you for listening to Carter the Accountant, an economic development podcast sharing authentic success stories and personal journeys that celebrate all that it means to live a life. The big dreams, love, loss, success, financial planning, lost potential, and beyond. And now, Carter the Accountant. Hello, it's Gary Watson. I am here with Carter, the accountant, and I have along with me Mr. Sam Carter, who is uh, an Atlanta-based accountant and uh, business advisory expert. And we're here with Ambassador Andrew Young. No introduction is needed to Ambassador Young, but uh, first and foremost, I would just like to say that Ambassador Young is a world-renowned humanitarian. He was a top aide to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He served as uh, mayor of Atlanta for quite some time, and he, he, he's a, a lifetime, uh, if you would, civil rights and community and social justice activist. Uh, and, and many people don't know that Ambassador Young was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, that's a part of the reason I've always felt a very strong connection to Ambassador Young, uh, one, because of New Orleans, two, because of the Xavier University connection, and also three, a good friend of mine, uh, the Gumbel family, is pretty close with Ambassador Young as well. So uh, there's a lot of details, but we will. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Sam, and he can introduce the podcast, and we will hop right into the uh, the conversation. That's a great introduction, Gary. Ambassador Young, welcome to our, we like to call it a powercast, not a podcast. All right. And our whole premise is, is that it's centered around authentic success stories. I would always say that everybody has a story. Um, and then you hear the talks about, oh, you get up early, you, you work hard, you work long hours. But I like to dive into the real core of our leaders out there. Like, what did it really take? to to be successful you know and gary and i both are new orleanians by the way where, 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 did, where did you grow up in new orleans i grew up in the lower night ward across the uh, canal across the industrial canal yeah uh, and I, we I, both are go ahead gary. i grew up in vashry a small town about uh, uh i guess an hour from new orleans uh, well and I, we're I, both I, our I Xavier up, graduates you know your, your first question was how, did, how was I motivated to get involved in civil rights? And I, I was born into it <laughs> because I was I was born at Galvez and Cleveland Avenue, right in the center of New Orleans. Wow. And um, we were the only black family in that block. Now, there were a couple of black. New Orleans is, is not all black. I mean, it's it's fairly mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other black adults, but there were no black children in in that neighborhood. And wow. uh, why so? I mean, I wonder what. I don't know. They they just, just, that's interesting. There, there were. Well, it, it was an old neighborhood. Okay. And um, but it was right behind where Straight University used to be. Yeah. Uh. State College was on Canal and I think between Taunty and Russia Place. Yes. Uh, that was at the back 
of straight college. At one time, there probably were a lot of black folk living around there, yeah. or some, uh, and certainly on, on a straight college campus. But when straight merged with New Orleans University to form Dillard, mm-hmm. they sold that property there and, um, and bought the property out gentilly where Dillard still exists. Wow, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Emma Wakefield, I think she had a practice in that area who was the first black uh, female physician in Louisiana. I, I don't remember her, but uh, I, uh, well, I, w- I was born there on Cleveland Avenue because 90 years ago, there were no black hospitals. Mm. Uh, and I was, I mean, Dr. Heidel um, came to the house to deliver me. <laughs> now, wow. By the time my brother was born a few years later, uh, Flint Goodridge Hospital had opened up up on Louisiana Avenue, and he was born in a hospital. But I was born right there on Cleveland, one block off Canal Street. You figure being born in the heart of uh, uh, civil rights as a young person, though, what, well, what kept that rights. dry? It was all, it was, well, I had an Irish grocery store on one corner, an Italian bar on another. The Nazi party was on the third corner. Wow. Uh, and there was a Chevrolet dealership around the fourth corner. And I was right in the middle. And, um, I mean, I, I had to face race. Yeah. And it, it, I remember it because in 1936, the um, Berlin Olympics were being held. And I had to go past the German-American Bund uh, every day, practically. Wow. Uh, in fact, if I caught a bus to, to school, I had to catch the bus right in front of the mm. German-American Bund. And my daddy explained this to me when I was four years old. He said, now, these people are white supremacists. Yeah. And white supremacy is a sickness. And um, you know from Sunday school that God created of one blood all the nations of the world. Uh they don't want to believe that. They want to believe that they are special and separate. Well, he took me to see the, to a segregated Orpheum Theater uh, to see the movie tone news of the Berlin Olympics. Okay. And um, he pointed out to me, it was segregated. Uh, we had to climb up in the balcony uh, but he explained to me that uh, Jesse Owens was everybody's favorite, but Hitler's. And when he won the hundred meter dash and set a new world record, Hitler, rather than give him the Olympic medal as he was supposed to, he took all of his Nazi stormtroopers out. Um, and my father pointed out to me, but see, that was not Jesse's problem. Mm. Jesse was there 
to win gold medals. Right. And he didn't pay any attention to Hitler. He just went on and won three more gold medals <laughs> and set another couple of records. And he said, the key to that is you don't get, you don't let sick people get you upset. And he said, you don't get mad, you get smart. Mm-hmm. He said, now, if you keep your head um, and use your mind, and he was shorter than me. I mean, he was five four. He said, "You, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna ever be big enough to beat up everybody. Mm. Uh, but you can outthink anybody Absolutely. if you don't get upset." And said, "Your mind is the most powerful weapon you have, and you can think your way through any crisis if you don't get emotional about it." And if you don't get scared or you don't get too, you know, upset and angry. Uh, and uh, it was it was very good lessons. Now, I went to Valina C. Jones School down okay. in the Seventh Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was an all-black school. And I had another set of problems there. But growing up as the only black, my brother and I, the only black kids in one neighborhood. But while we were the only black kids, my parents were probably the only ones in the neighborhood that went to college. Wow. See, my father my father was a dentist and his dental office was there, right there on in, in the home. And um, and he used to point out to me that um, my job is to help people. That now all of these people will they, they will get a toothache in the middle of the night and they will call me up and want to come over and let me fix their teeth. They won't come in my office in the daytime. And he said, but my job is to help people. And yeah. that if I have to help them at night, I just go ahead and do it. Uh, and don't get upset about it. Uh, why, why wouldn't they go to his office during the day? What's that? Why wouldn't they go into his office during the day? Because he was black and they were white. Wow. And they didn't want anybody <laughs> to know they were going to a black dentist. Wow. Right. right. So I, it was, I, I was born in a racial conglomerate. And then New Orleans, I mean, then um, when I went to Belinda C. Jones School, I was the only one that had lunch money. Because everybody else in my class qualified for free lunch. But nobody liked the free lunch. <laughs> and like this airy noise. You hear that, Gary? I'm in a forest and it's raining. That's what the problem is. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know if you want to go in on and off mute. So, so yeah, I'll mute. So, Ambassador Young, one of, the, one of the questions I want to ask you was, you know, the state of politics today as it was say, compared to 20, 30 years ago, what, what would you say the biggest difference is between our leaders today and our leaders 20, 30 years ago? Well, 20, 30 years ago, let's see, I ran for Congress in 1970. That's 50 years ago. Well, the reason I ran was because nobody else wanted to run. Hmm. And... Because, I mean, that year, 68, between 68 and 
66 and 68, you know, Martin had been killed. Mm -hmm. uh, Malcolm X had been killed. Uh, Medgar Evers, uh, John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Uh, politics wasn't, uh, it wasn't something you did for glory. <laughs> you did it for service and you didn't make any money. Right. Uh, you, I mean, the mayor's salary, well, really the congressman's salary was just $32,000 a year when I ran for Congress. Uh, it, they raised it to 42,000. Uh, but then um, the mayor's salary in 1980 was 50,000 a year. And you had to be mayor for 14 years to get a pension. Uh, and so there, there were no great rewards. Mm -hmm. uh, it was only a sense of duty that made you want to run for something. And, and, and you knew every, every mayor we have had has been attacked viciously mm -hmm. in the newspapers, uh, starting with Maynard Jackson. And then after working, Maynard Jackson helped build the airport. Yeah. Um, together, we sort of helped MARTA get past. Uh, and we made our contribution to this city. But um, nobody offered him a job when he, when he left. Hmm. He had to go to Chicago to get a job with a law firm. And he was a very good lawyer. Um, and you think um, it was just because of all the turmoil and because he, he was black, right? Because he was black. And that's it, crazy. I mean, it, it, remember now, Vernon Jordan, before he died, was one of the most powerful black men in the country. Mm -hmm. But nobody in Atlanta offered Vernon Jordan a job. He had to go to New York. And then even in New York, they didn't offer him a job. He had to come down to Washington uh, and get in the kind of a political law firm uh, after he left the Urban League and the United Negro College Fund. But um, So you feel 20, you know, back then, 20, 30 years ago, it was more of a call of duty versus well, that's, uh, the glory. It's, it's really more like 50 years ago. Yeah. But see, I, I came to Georgia in 1954. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the first persons I met was John Wesley Dobbs. Mm -hmm. And he was the head of the Prince Hall Masons. And the first thing he asked me, he said, you go into a little church down in Thomasville and Beachton, I understand. I said, yeah. He said, would you mind running a voter registration drive down there? I said, no, be glad to. <laughs> um, and, um, but uh, the night before we were supposed to kick off the voter registration drive, we were driving back from Albany, Georgia, just my wife and my baby daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 
we ran into it looked like a thousand plans wow. in sheets. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I had I figured I had to deal with that. Now I was I was twenty two. Wow. Uh, what would you say was uh, what would you say was a uh, the darkest experience that you've encountered? I don't know, maybe now. Wow. That was the thing. Because of the way I grew up, mm-hmm. none of that bothered me. I I I was not afraid. Um and I said we were not gonna run. The problem was my wife was already committed to nonviolence, <laughs> and I wasn't necessarily committed. And I said, "Now, I said if they come here to mess with us, I want you to sit in the front window with the rifle, <laughs> and I'm going to go out and talk to them. But I want you to point a rifle at, uh, you know, at whoever it is that I'm talking to, yeah. and they'll realize <laughs> that." You know, we mean business. I can negotiate from a position of strength. Yeah. And she said, I can't do that. And I said, why? She said, you're a good child. She said, yeah, but I can't put a, I can't point a gun at a human being. I said, baby, that's the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> and she said, and you're supposed to be a preacher. I said, what's that got to do with it? She said, um, if you ever forget that under that sheet, is the heart of a child of God, you probably don't need to be preached. And I said, damn, woman, what the hell? I'm telling you. Where you come with all this stuff from? See? We gonna yeah. all die. See? And, uh, but, but she was uh, she was very religious. Yeah. She went to a, a school in Indiana where uh, they taught nonviolence. Interesting thing is, see, we were sort of locked into this. And I, I think it was sort of God ordained because Martin King uh, and and my wife went to the same high school in up in Indiana. I mean, same high school in Marion, Alabama. Thanks for listening to Carter the Accountant. We envision a world where essential and transformative powers will help people turn nothing into something. Follow us on Instagram at Carter the Accountant.